Today's scripture reading comes from 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of a reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they began from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heaven existed long ago and the earth was formed out of the water and through the water by the word of God and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and hearing of his word. Well, we've been going through a series of messages on Second uh, Peter, and we've come to uh, chapter 3. Our time in Second uh, Peter is uh, quickly coming to a close, but uh, we'll spend the last few of these weeks meditating on these passages as Peter concludes his second letter to these Christians, these beloved saints of, of God. Our series has been on Don't Stop Believing, as we have been encouraged by Peter that despite what is going on in and around our world, indeed, even in our own hearts and lives, God would encourage us by his Spirit and through his word that we would be those who keep on believing, keep on trusting, keep looking to God, and in particular to God's word even this morning. And so as the word of God has been read in our hearings, let us pray and ask the Lord that indeed that he would illuminate it uh, in our minds Press it down into our spirits that it may bear fruit in our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do ask that you would indeed come by your spirit. Take your word, Lord. Plant it deep into our spirits. Pray that your spirit would water it there, Lord. And in planting and watering that there would be an increase in our lives this day and always. Lord, we know that you are able. We pray that you would be willing to magnify and glorify yourself in this place, in this way. We ask and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Second well, Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, I'm reminded that the world <clears throat> since the time of Jesus has had more than its share of false prophets and teachers predicting the return of Jesus and the end of the world. You know, William Miller, one of the uh, forefathers and forerunners of Seventh-day Adventism, predicted in 1843 that Jesus would return and there were over 100,000 of his followers who sold or gave away all of their possessions only to see 1843 come and go, but no return of Jesus. 
to their dismay <coughs> and disappointment. <coughs> the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Watchtower Organization has uh, falsely predicted the return of Jesus Christ on more than one occasion. In fact, they predicted it in 1914, 1915, 1918, 1920, 1925, that Jesus would return on May 21st, 2011. You might have seen the signs. There were, there were billboards around, even around East Point saying that Jesus was going to return May 21st, 2011. And when the day came and went and no return of Jesus, Camping declared that his math had been off. And he recalculated for October 21st, 2011. False prophets come and false prophets go, beloved. And as Peter has been reminding us of the, the character of the false prophets in his day and how they are so reminiscent of false prophets through the ages, yet we are reminded this morning that the aim of the Scriptures is not to give us an exhaustive list of false prophets and, and teachers and a, a list, and a list of their prophecies, but rather what the Bible is seeking to do, and even this morning, is to point us to the truth, the truth of the enduring prophecies of God that are contained in his word, which come to us through true prophets and his apostles. And in chapter 2, you might recall, if you were here, that Peter spent a good deal of time exposing and, and rebuking these false teachers who were assaulting the Christians and were assaulting the church with spiritual error and their moral corruption and the compromise. And his words were clear. They were unapologetic. They were even... Violent, beloved. However, we are again reminded that as unforgettable as the words were in chapter 2, the point of the letter that Peter wrote to the Christians was not to tear down false teachers, but the point was to build up the saints. And that is the goal that is the goal of any faithful teacher. That is the goal of any faithful preacher or messenger of Jesus Christ. It is never simply their refutation of error, but more importantly, it is the proclamation of truth. Faithful preaching is never primarily focused on telling the world what is wrong, but more on pointing the world to what is right, namely, Jesus Christ our Lord. 
And therefore, the focus is not on what is discouraging. The focus is on the encouragement. That the saints of God would be encouraged this morning. And we see that. We see that over and over again in the Scriptures. This is what the writer of Hebrews reminded us. In chapter 6, after warning the saints about the apostasy that, that would surely come amongst them and the dangers of falling away from the faith, he wrote in chapter 6 and, and verse 9, Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. Because it's not about the discouragement. It's about the encouragement. It is not tearing down. It is not about tearing down falsehood. It is about building up the saints in truth. And so like the writer of Hebrews, Peter, when he was writing to the church, he was writing to his beloved, his beloved. He was writing to those whom he loved. And his point was not to tear down false teachers, but to build up the saints. Our focus, even this morning, even when we come to church every week, beloved, we may make mention of demons, and we may make, we may make mention of the devil, but our focus is on Christ. Our goal is the building up of the church and the kingdom of God. And so we see now, as Peter's coming to the end of his letter to the saints, he turns his attention again back to what it was in the first chapter. In the first chapter, his attention was on the saints, the beloved of God the dearly beloved. And so chapter 3 begins with the apostle Peter reminding us of why he was writing to them in verse 1, right? This is now the second letter that I am writing to you. Who? Beloved. Beloved. In both of them, in both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. And so he, he tells them, he reminds them that this is not his first correspondence with them. Peter was writing to them again as he had written before. And he's writing to them not to establish anything new, but what he wanted to do was reestablish among them the truth that they already had received, that they belong to Christ. Despite what was happening or despite what others were saying. He referred to them as beloved, the dear ones, the loved ones, those loved by God, those loved by Peter. Beloved, beloved is a term of covenant endearment. reminds us that God has graciously entered into loving covenant with us. 
And by being in Christ, we are in covenant with each other. And that covenant is a covenant of love. And so when you hear me say, beloved, or when you read in the scriptures, beloved, you should hear that you have been chosen by God in love for communion and covenant with him. And so there's no more talk of dogs, no more talk of wild animals, no more talk of vomit. His sincere desire was for their spiritual welfare and their spiritual health. And he did this by way of reminder. Reminder. Because this is what most of us need. Most of us don't need to be informed. We just need to be reminded. And that's what I prepare to do every Sunday, beloved. I don't, I don't stand up here to inform you as much as I stand up here to remind you. To remind you, like Peter wanted to remind those, that though this life is not a cakewalk, and much of this world, spiritually and naturally, is set against you even this morning, I want to remind you that you have from God, as it says in chapter 1 and verse 3, all things necessary for a godly life. I say that by way of reminder. That I may start up within you, right thinking. And faithful living. These Christians who Peter was writing to, like you and I, they were being attacked, they were being assaulted on all sides. What they had been taught, and what they had believed was being mocked. It was being ridiculed. And not only was it being mocked, and not only was it being ridiculed, but they were also being offered alternative beliefs. They were being offered different ways of living it's important to remember, beloved, that Satan is not against you believing so long as you don't believe the truth about Jesus Christ. You can have all the faith in the world so long as that faith is not in the one and true living God. He's not against faith. It's not against believing. It's not against worship. So long as that faith and that worship and believing is not in the biblical Jesus. And Peter understands this, and so what he wants to do in writing to them is to stir them up. You see that again? He wants to stir them up. 
He wants to encourage them. He wants to spur them on, as it says in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24. He wants to spur them on. Spur them on to faith. Spur them on to trust. Spur them on to think rightly about God and the world in which they live. To think, think rightly about themselves. To think rightly about God's word to them. Remind them that you have received the truth. Don't stop believing it. Don't to spur them on to remember the word and the testimony that God had already handed down to them. Not these false prophets, but the true prophets of God. Not these false apostles, but the true apostles of Jesus Christ. He wants to remind them of a couple of things this morning. He wants them to look to the prophets because the prophets testify to God's promises. The true prophets of God testify to God's promises. Notice what he says, right, in verse 2. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given to you, given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. Here's what Peter is saying, beloved. God keeps his word, okay? God keeps his word. And remember the words of the prophets whenever you tend to forget this. God keeps his promises. And if you're ever tempted to forget that God keeps his promises, remember the words of the prophets. And be reminded that God keeps his promises. To encourage the saints to remember, remember how the Old Testament promises of God came through the prophets and God kept every one of them. Remember that. Remember whatever promise God made in the Old Testament, he kept it. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 16 and verse 17, God promised Adam that his labors would increase, and he promised Eve that she would have pain in giving birth to children. Didn't he keep it? In Genesis chapter 6 and verse 17, God promised Noah that it would rain judgment on the earth. Didn't he keep it? In Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1, God promised Abraham that he would be a great nation. Didn't he keep it? In Exodus chapter 3 and verse 8, God promised Moses that he would deliver his people out of bondage and into the promised land. Didn't he keep it? In 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 6, God promised David a kingdom of eternal worth and didn't he keep it? In Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, God promised Isaiah that there would be coming a wonderful child who in Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 5 would also be a suffering servant. Didn't he keep it? The Old Testament, beloved, the Old Testament 
is a consistent record of God's promises made and God's promises kept. But you know what? The New Testament is no different. This is what Peter is saying. The same God who made promises to the saints in the Old Testament through the prophets has also made those promises to you through the apostles. It is still the same. I mean, if you were to, if you were to ask Abraham, Isaac, and, and Jacob, and Joseph this morning, or even Sarah, or, or, or Miriam, or Esther this morning, about the promises of God, what do you think they would tell you? What would David say to you in the midst of your pain? What would Isaiah say to you in the midst of your suffering? What would Ezekiel say to you in your grief? Beloved, they'd say the same thing that Peter would say. Don't you stop believing. Don't you stop trusting. God is faithful. They would say the same thing that Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and, and verse 18. So now, now, now fix your eyes not on what is seen, but what is on, unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Fix your eyes on the promises of God in Christ Jesus. Beloved, understand something this morning, that the Bible is not a hodgepodge of people's personal opinions seeking to promote somebody's personal agenda. But it is the record of God's promises made and the record of God's promises kept. It is the testimony of men and women through many years in different places and in different times, yet always saying the same thing. God is faithful. Don't stop believing him. Don't turn away. Keep the faith. He is able. And yet, there are those who will mock you for that. This is what Peter tells them. They will mock you for that. And they will claim that God is not faithful. Notice what he says in verse 3. Knowing this, first of all, remember, remember what you've got. You've got the word of God from the Old Testament prophets, prophets and the apostles. It is a word that God is faithful. It's a word that God, is, God can be trusted. It is a word that God keeps his promises, that he is the God on whom you can rely, on whom you can repent and, and, and depend. Don't stop believing. But knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come. Scoffers will come, and in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Peter reminded his people, scoffers will come, markers will come, and when scoffers come, scoffers do what scoffers do. 
they scoff. They question. They question the integrity of God's word. They question the legitimacy of your faith. And they mock as foolish your willingness to wait and trust in the Lord. This week I came across an organization that's organized here in Atlanta called Black Nonbelievers Incorporated. This is a real thing. It is a group of African Americans centered around secular, atheistic, anti-Christian thinking. Their motto is, believe it or not, I'm not making this up. You can look it up. Don't do it now, but you can look it up. Their motto is, we walk by sight, not by faith. They have on their website an article entitled, Jesus' Failed Prophecy About His Return. And the article mocks Christian belief in the return of Jesus because according to them and their understanding, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 28, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in glory. And since by their understanding Jesus did not return in the time when those who are standing there heard this, that Jesus' prophecy failed, and all those who believe and trust in it now are foolish. But Peter reminds us, this is not new. But this is not new. Those who hold on to the promises of God in this world are frequently ridiculed, are frequently mocked, are frequently scoffed at. Joseph was mocked. Rachel and Hannah were mocked. David was mocked. You know what they said to Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 15? Jeremiah said to God, God, they keep saying to me, where is the word of the Lord? When is it going to be fulfilled? Let it come. Let it come, Jeremiah. Where is it? In Luke chapter 18, verse 32, Jesus prophesied that he would be mocked. And then in verse 23, chapter 23 and verse 35, guess what? He was mocked. They scoffed at him. I want you to understand something this morning, beloved. That, like Jesus, we are not here to mock those who mock us. It, 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 is, it would be easy to make fun of black non-believers incorporated. But we are not here to mock those who mock us. But rather, we are here to remember. 
we are here to reaffirm that the apostles and the prophets testify to God keeping his promises. No matter what the naysayers say, we are here to be reminded and to, be re and to reaffirm that the God who promised is the God who keeps his promises. He kept them to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He kept them to David. He kept them to Peter, James, and John. He will keep them to you. Don't stop believing. Because the apostles and the prophets testify to God's promises. But not only that, creation testifies to God's power. In verse 5, we are reminded that those who mock the prophecies and the predictions of God do so because, and this is why they do it, beloved, they do it because they fail to observe God's providence in creation. They mock the promises and the predictions because they, are, they fail and they deliberately fail to observe God's providence. So what Peter says, for they deliberately overlook this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. The scoffers often deny that God spoke creation into existence even while evidence of it is all around them. They forget, they forget, they forget that the one who promised is also the one who, according to Romans chapter 4 and verse 17, called things into existence that formerly did not exist. Now, I want you to understand that, beloved. This is Peter's point. The point that Peter is making here is that the reason they scoff at the promises is because they fail to recognize his power. The reason they scoff at his promises is because they fail to realize that the word that he promised is the same word with which he created. And it shouts his glory. That's what the psalmist says. In Psalm 19, right? In verse 1, and, 1 through 3. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech. Day after day pours out speech. And night to night reveals his knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. His voice is not heard. Beloved, 
There is not a language in this world in which the creation of God does not speak. There are not a people on this earth that do not hear the shout of the glory of God day after day and night after night. And yet they mock. And yet they scoff. All around is the reminder of the power of God. All around us, the power of God speaks. And Peter's point is this. If God can create you, if God can create the world and all that dwell in it, what is it but a little thing for him to keep his promises to you? This should be a great encouragement to you, beloved. This should be a wonderful encouragement to you. This should build up your faith this morning. If you are struggling with your confidence and trust in God to keep you and to keep his word and to keep his promises, I want to encourage you to just take a moment one morning and take some time to admire the sunset. Or, or go for a walk down by the ocean and witness the power and the majesty and the vastness. Or take a trip up into the mountains and into the quiet of the evening and observe the, the glory and the beauty. And then be reminded what God says in Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 12. That if God can scoop out the oceans in his hands and measure the heavens with his finger, then surely, beloved, he can supply all your needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. That's the same God. If he can... As it says in Amos chapter 4 and verse 13, form the mountains and create the wind. Then surely, beloved, he can give eternal life to any and all who put their trust in him. This is what Peter is saying. This is, this is the point. The creation is a marvelous indispensable testimony to the grace and the goodness and the faithfulness of God and to the power of God in keeping the promises of God. All you got to do is take some time. If he can do that, he'll keep you. Don't stop believing. Don't stop trusting. The same God, the same God who creates by his word also keeps his promises according to his word. And it is these promises that God made. And it is in his power to keep these promises that he has made, that both of them testify to the fact that when God speaks, God is not playing. 
He is not playing. He is not playing, beloved. And that's what Peter says as he wraps up this section here. And that by means of these, you know, his, his, his power, his word, the world that existed was deluged with water and perished. And by the same word, the word that created is also the word that brought the flood. And Peter says, it is by that same word the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. You know what the false teachers were suggesting, beloved? The false teachers were suggesting to these saints that everything is everything. That everything has been as everything has been since the creation began. That God has not done anything special and therefore is not going to do anything special. And Peter writes to the saints and Peter says, hold up, not so fast. I want to put you in remembrance. I want to stir up your right thinking so that you would recall that God destroy the earth once by the word of his power in a flood, and he will do it again, only this time by the word of his power in fire. That same God. God the creator is also God the judge. He who spoke your creation will also speak your condemnation. He who spoke your existence will also speak your annihilation. And just as there was a flood of water there is coming a day when there will be a flood of fire. What Peter is speaking about here is what we see referenced in the scriptures over and over again. It is the day of the Lord. He is speaking about the promise of God to return and on that day to bring a great vindication of his people and judgment upon the wicked. It will be a day that will be filled with the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. It will be a day of judgment that is frequently spoken of in the scriptures and it will be a day that will be attended with, the Bible reminds us, of a great consuming fire. God promised, God promised that he would never destroy the world again by way of a watery flood. 
but he did not promise that he would never destroy the world. But he has promised that he is coming in judgment upon that world. And that judgment is coming by way of fire. That's what the Bible says over and over again. In Isaiah chapter 30, verse 30, the Lord will cause people to hear his majestic voice and will make them see his arm coming down with raging anger and consuming fire. In Nahum chapter 1, in verse 8, in speaking of this day, it says, Who can stand his indignation? Who can endure his fierce anger? His wrath is poured out like fire. The rocks are shattered before him. In Zephaniah chapter 1, in verse 18, neither their silver nor their gold will be able to save them on that day of the Lord's wrath. For in the fire of his jealousy, the whole earth will be consumed, and he will make a sudden end of all who live on it. Question to ask, beloved. On that great day, will it be a literal fire? Perhaps. But I think it's going to be far worse. I think it will be the fire of God's judgment and his wrath that burns not just the flesh, but burns into the soul of the ungodly and the unbelieving. It will be a fire of God's judgment. And Peter is not the only one in the New Testament who's speaking prophetically about it. Paul does over and over again speak of this coming day of the Lord in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he says the day will be sudden, doesn't he? For you yourselves are fully aware, says in chapter verse 2, that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. It will be a sudden thing. It will be sudden judgment. Men and women will be sleep. Men and women will be prophesying lies and deceit. And suddenly, the day of the Lord will come. It will be a sudden day. But not only will it be a sudden day, the Bible also tells us there that it will be a severe day. A severe day. In verse 2, in verse 3, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, it will not only be sudden, but it will be sudden destruction. While people are saying there is peace and security, then suddenly destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Regardless, beloved, regardless of what the scoffers say, regardless of what the mockers say, regardless of what the unbelievers may think, the Bible is clear 
the earth as you and I know it will one day be destroyed by God's judgment, by his sudden and severe judgment. And yet, the most important thing for you to remember is not that the judgment is sudden and not that the judgment is severe. Remember that. That judgment is your salvation. Although we speak about things like this, beloved, we have better things concerning you. Things that belong to salvation. And Paul says, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 9, that even on that day, God has not destined you for that wrath. He has not destined you for that judgment. He has not predestined you for that fire, but he has predestined you to obtain salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. So that is the encouragement to the saints this morning. That is the encouragement to the beloved this morning. We don't mock at the mockers. We trust and believe that our salvation is coming. We trust and believe that we have been appointed to obtain not destruction, not wrath, not fire, but salvation. Because we are his beloved. We are those chosen by God in love. I want to remind you again that this is the promise of God, that this is the power of God, and this is it, beloved that Jesus Christ and all those in him will be saved even if through fire. Would that be you this morning? Can you confidently say that I am his beloved? That I have placed my faith and hope in the true Biblical Jesus Christ. And I am not looking for anything or anyone, but I am looking for Jesus. I am hoping in Jesus. And my faith is built on nothing less than Jesus' love and his righteousness. And I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand, and all of the ground is burning sand because all of the ground is sinking sand. Trust in Jesus and don't don't, don't, beloved, stop believing. Let's pray.